TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Enjoy a tall, cool dude. I grew up like most kids, worried I couldn't bench two plates that I wouldn't fit in, that I wouldn't find love. Then I discovered partying, and suddenly all those worries went to the wayside. I didn't need love, I had keg stands. I discovered I was great at raging, and it revealed wonderful things about myself. I could relate to bros, regardless of what kind of bro they were. I could be at a party, and moon people, and everyone would laugh, you know, be witty. Or, I could play beer pong, and compete with real integrity, in short, I fulfilled my potential. The Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. You know, I'm going to try something new here. I'm going to try something new. Try to wean myself off caffeine a little bit, you know. You're a little fired up. You drink like two, three cups a day. Trying to wean myself off here. So I'm going no coffee tonight. How about that, guys? Into the nightcap here. For the next two hours, we'll see. I think I got some energy to start the show here. We'll see how long that lasts. If it uh, starts to fade, then maybe we'll have to we'll have to go back to the uh, the old coffee machine out in the out in the out in the break room, the bistro. It's different names for it. What do you what do you call it? It's break room, right? It's break room. Your your place at work where you go to make the coffee, you eat your lunch. You know, I guess that's what it is. Bills and Patriots on the mind. Some Sabres talk tonight. Rasmus for Stalinen. There was a big trade in the NHL today that I direct might directly affect the Sabres and their hunt to move Ristolainen and find some value for him. We'll get into that. Chad D. Dominicus from SB Nation uh, covering the Sabres. We, uh, we got into it a little bit on Twitter. Uh, a nice polite disagreement on... Uh, the, the Justin Falk trade today and whether we would take that for Ristolainen. And he's going to come out and join me in about 25 minutes at 7.30. So uh, we'll get him on in here and uh, we'll talk some Sabres. But before we get, because I, I do want to do a lot of hockey tonight. I, I'm fired up about Ristolainen. I am fired up about the idea of trading him, where the roster is at. I'm looking at the line combinations today. It's got me pumped up for the season. We're a week from Thursday. Uh, is going to be the home opener. And... I'm starting to like what this roster is looking like, but there's still some dead weight, and uh, Ristolainen might factor into that. We'll get, we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk about plenty of Sabers uh, in a little bit, but I do want to get into some, get some Bills Patriots uh, preview talk, whatever you want here uh, in the first half hour at least, and then maybe we'll swing back around to it a little bit later. I know that's where uh, primarily a lot of your calls are going to want to go. Eight oh three oh five fifty is the phone number if you want to get in on it. I'm, uh, you know, thinking about. The matchup itself. I've kind of gone away from the big picture as this week has started, which is, you know, a little weird, right? Because each week so far, for me, it's been that. I don't know about you, but for me, it's been that. 
Week one, you're going into the Jets. Are you being compared to the Jets all off season? This is the time to prove you're a step above them on the road. If you're going to want to make the playoffs, these two teams might both be directly competing. The team that sweeps the other probably is the best shot to do it. And if you want to sweep them, starting on the road, that's a great job. And they did it. Then week two, again, thinking big picture, the Giants, Eli, they just they stink. If you're going to be a good team at all. You have to win that game. I don't care that it's on the road. You have to win that game. They did. The Bengals game. I don't think they were as much of a joke as the Bengals, but again, if you're going to be a good team, that's a team you beat. Cincinnati's a team you beat if you're going to be a legitimate playoff contender near the end of the season. And they did. Now a little closer on that one. Close call. Cincinnati comes all the way back from 14-0. They take the lead at one point late in the fourth quarter, but... They get the victory. They, they squeezed it out. Now what's this week? It should be big picture, right? It should be, this is the measuring stick game. This is the first really good team you're playing. This is New England. This is the king of the hill. This is Mufasa on, on top of uh, Plymouth, or Plymouth Rock, geez. Pride Rock. You're, you're trying to take down that. And you get it at home. Which is nice. You're both three and zero. You really can't take if you're going to take away. Like I have seen some Patriots fans trying to do this. If you're going to take away from the Bills' success early in the season by saying, "Oh, they haven't played anybody," well, New England hasn't done that either. And I get it. They deserve the benefit of the doubt. The Bills don't. That, that, that's fair, right? Come on, Bills fans. Like that's fair. They have won the Super Bowl two of the last three years. They've been to it three years in a row. They, If they go this year, they match the Bills' record for four straight Super Bowls. This is the Brady-Belichick dynasty. All right? They deserve the benefit of the doubt. So it's, it's tougher to make the argument, hey, they might not be good because of look who they've played. But they're New England. That's the thing. The Bills, while I don't necessarily completely agree with the fact, oh, look who they've played. They don't deserve the benefit of the doubt quite as much. They deserve to be what they are, which is a seven-point underdog on the road, at home against New England. Could they win this game? Definitely. They definitely could. But when I'm thinking percentages in my mind, I'm thinking like 30-35%. And that's a, maybe 40. Not much higher. So, to me, I'm, I'm no pressure on in this game, right? I'm thinking no pressure. My... I've already set myself up for their losing this game. I think of the Bills and what they're going to be this year at this current moment as if they're going to lose to New England. The only way this week changes anything for me is, one, they beat New England, and then, wow, sky's the limit. Howard on the station this morning picking them to go 12-4. and They beat New England this week? I'm all aboard 12-4. and Who are they losing to? If they're beating the Patriots and they've got this... Super easy schedule that has the likes of Mariota, Josh Rosen, and Case Keenum in three of the next four upcoming games. What what are we talking about? We're talking about a playoff team at the very least, right? It's not even just what you are, but it would be beating New England in combination with what that schedule is. And it is setting up so sweet for the rest of the season. So, now, that has me thinking, all right, realistically, like, what are you doing? How are you beating them? 
Belichick today has his uh, his Tuesday morning conference call with the Buffalo media. He's talking about the Bills. Brady's talking about the Bills today. They're giving the fans all types of credit, which, like you know, fair enough. Like I'm sure I think that they mean that when they say that. Tom Brady today says that the Bills atmosphere. He likes playing here because it's a louder, it's a more energetic atmosphere than a lot of other NFL stadiums. I think he's being truthful in that. You know, Bills fans, that stadium, the atmosphere, I've been in it. I had seasons before I worked here. That was on par with Seattle and Green Bay and Oakland maybe. Like, I don't even know. When you you talk about the most energetic and, you know, the great atmospheres of the league in the stadium, Bills are right up there. So I think they're being genuine. But, you know, they're not really talking a lot about X's and O's. They're not really talking about a lot about, obviously, what they're going to do. That's New England. They don't really give that away. But what are they going to do? Belichick kind of is this evil genius, right? And if you're going to think about it this way, if he's going to take one or two things away from the Bills. Like, what's he keying in on this week? What is he looking at on the Bills and saying, we got to stop that? This is how we're, this is how we're going to do it. What is he doing? Because he does that. Last year, in the AFC Championship game, Patrick Mahomes, who's on pace for 6,300 yards and 10,000 touchdowns this season, Belichick shut him out in a half. The first half. Nothing for the Chiefs. He figured out a way to stop that. And I can go over countless and countless examples of him taking the other team's strength and turning it against them. I could bring up examples going, obviously I could go 30 years back to Super Bowl 25, Bills Giants, where he does it there. What is he keying in on this week? And... That brings up an interesting conversation. Like what's 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 the what's driving the Bills right now? What's their number one asset? What's the thing Belichick is most worried about with the Bills? My first instinct is, well, it's their deep ball. It's their vertical passing game. It's their ability to stretch the field. But what's interesting is they haven't really connected on any deep balls. Yet, I'd say they're still stretching the field. Robert Foster's out there. He's not getting targets. He's running deep. You saw last week, Josh Allen drops back to pass. He had, how many times did he throw the ball really downfield? Like on a bomb. Like a streak down the field, the corner, or the receiver's out running the corner, and Allen puts it out there for him. He did it once to Zay Jones before that Foster throw, and that was pretty much it. But yet, other teams right now are respecting his arm so much that When he goes deep to Robert Foster, it's almost intercepted because there's a safety waiting right there. The safety is way back. He's prepared for a bomb. And what I might think is, maybe Belichick sees that. Maybe the Patriots and Belichick see that, hey, they're not connecting on this deep ball. We don't have to respect it the way these other teams are doing it because it's been a mistake. Because what's been happening is the Bills have been picking apart these defenses really with a short to intermediate passing game. Allen's been efficient, and he's also, of course, added the ability to run, which we all know he has. And when the safeties are playing way back, and 
you're in a lot of man coverage and you're worrying about the vertical passing game, then that opens up Allen to run. That opens up Cole Beasley underneath. That opens up John Brown over the middle. That opens up all those guys. And if New England steps up, this might be the big key to the game. Because I would maybe want to predict New England is going to focus in more on what the Bills have done well so far, which is that short to intermediate passing game and running Josh Allen. Maybe there's a spy all the time on Allen. Maybe they're keeping one extra cornerback inside. Maybe they're pulling their safeties in a little bit. They're they're moving them up. I could definitely see a scenario where New England is forcing Allen to throw the ball deep. Because here's the thing about Josh Allen. He has a cannon, and he's... Maybe he'll prove this because you know what? There's been a lot of things he has not been able to do, both in college and his the beginning of his rookie year last year, that he has come along in and he has started to prove people wrong. The accuracy, the short intermediate passing game, using a slot receiver like Cole Beasley, dumping it off when he has to. The only thing he really hasn't completely fixed, I would say, is the turnovers. Like he still got that in there. We saw it last week against Cincinnati. But really, when you look back on his entire career, college and pro, he's got a cannon. He can stretch the field. He can throw it 80 yards. But the accuracy on the deep ball is not prolific. It's not Rodgers. It's not Mahomes. That's where he's different than those two. Those two have the two of the biggest arms in the league, but they do it with precision. And we've really yet to see that from Allen. There's overthrows, there's ducks, there's even like some of the, 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 the completions from last season. I always think about that that first start he has against the Chargers, and he's rolling out to the left, and you can't really see what's going on down the field because of the TV camera. When you look on the All-22, uh, first off, if you were going to see that play on TV, he chucks it downfield, and there's Zay Jones standing there, and he's got it. But really what you missed is the ball's so underthrown that the corner overshoots, and Jones is just sitting there, easy catch. It was so underthrown. And that happens with him. He got lucky there. And he'll, he's gotten lucky a couple times. But he has not been prolific with the deep ball. That's the next thing he's got to prove that he can do, I think, to beat New England. Because if New England's going to force him to throw that, which I might want to predict they might, Belichick's going to go, all right, let's see. Throw it deep on us. Let's see if you really can do it. Let's see if you can not only throw it over our heads, but if you could put it right in the breadbasket for your receiver. Allen's got to prove he can be able to do that. Because otherwise, these defenses, I don't think are going to be respecting the deep ball as much, even though his arm is as big as it is. They'll always respect it to some extent, but not to the level of these other superstar quarterbacks that have arms like Josh Allen does. And that's who you got to compare him to. I'm sorry. Like, I know it's Rodgers and Mahomes, but Rodgers and Mahomes are the closest comparisons when you talk about arm strength. So who else am I supposed to talk about? I know he's not as good as them. He probably will never be as good as them. But that's an aspect of their game that makes it easier for those two quarterbacks to do so well on everything else because defenses every time have to respect that they could score on any given play with a pass. And Allen at least possesses that. Like, the defensive coordinator should always have it in their mind, this guy can score on me right now. Will the Patriots do that? Because if I'm Belichick, I think I'm most, I'm focusing in, I'm keying in on taking away Allen's running. I think I want to 
force him to stay in the pocket, and let's see if you can really do that for four quarters. Because we know our guy can do it. Brady can do it. If Allen sits in the pocket for an entire game, if there's no rushing, if maybe the short stuff isn't as open as it's been early in the season, is he going to make that defense back up? That's maybe my biggest key for this game coming up. That's the thing I'm thinking about the most. And that's the one thing I think Belichick is thinking about the most. What have the Bills done best? Isn't that what he's going to try to take away? And funny enough, it's been Josh Allen running in a short intermediate passing game. What do you think of this game? Specifics to the game plan, strategy, what do you think you should expect from New England, and also what a win would mean to New England. I'm not even against New England. I'm not even really thinking about it. I'm not even comprehending yet that they could win this game. You want to know why? Because me, as a 24-year-old Bills fan... I have not experienced expectations like what we will be thinking about and talking about if they win this game this week. If they win this game this week, I I don't even know how to do it. I don't even know how to think. Their schedule is so easy, and you would have just beaten New England. You're 4-0. I know they've done that before, but I don't think the schedule part of it was ever in play. Maybe I'm overselling how easy their schedule is, but I don't really think I am. I think I think they got gimme games all over the place. I think Washington should be a gimme game. You got two Miami games that are gimmies. I think Denver is a gimme. I mean, if Pittsburgh keeps looking like this with a backup quarterback, they might be a gimme even though it's on the road. I mean, the season's going really well. And I don't need a win over New England for it to keep going really well. But man, the blow the roof off this place if they beat New England this week. Let's go to Dean. Dean, you're first up on the nightcap. What's up, man? Uh, hi, Joe. Uh, I'd like to uh, state my opinion on why I think they get off to slow starts, you know, around the third quarter. And also, I'd like to um, comment about deferring on the kickoff. Wait, say that again, that last part? What was your last question? Oh uh, Well, I'd like to comment about deferring on the kickoff. Okay, how so? Well... I think it's a mistake when we give the ball up on offense when we win the toss. And I think that's especially a mistake at home because we're putting their offense out there first at a time when the stadium's not quite full and as loud as it could be. You mean at the beginning of the game? Correct. I think that when you really – see how many people are in their seats at the beginning of the game versus the beginning of halftime. You want their offense on the field at the beginning of the game. The beginning of the game, it's way louder. Most people are there. Not everybody. But halftime, the seats are a lot emptier. People are in in the restroom line still. They're in concession stand line. So I get where your logic is. I just think that if you actually saw how many people are in their seats in the beginning of the game versus halftime, then you would think that, hey, I want them to get the ball first. You know what? I think that I do remember uh, the boys on the broadcast mentioning that. So you're making a good point. Um, your, lo- your logic makes sense, though. Well, the other point, though, is especially against New England. I think we have a good enough offense. We start sharply. I'd like to get the ball first and get a score first rather than giving them the chance to score first. 
And, uh, well, that's my opinion on, you know, wanting the ball first. To me, it always seems like mm-hmm. giving up a possession when we defer. Yeah, yeah, Dean, thanks for the call, man. Yeah, I, I don't really see it quite that way. I get where you're coming from. You want to get out ahead of them. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, even though, you know, it's not the same, we're going to have to think a different way. If New England gets up in this game, 7-14, 17-0, probably over. But this Bills offense has proven that, hey, they can, Allen could throw them back into games if he needs to. He's done it. He's got five game-winning drives, four qu- fourth-quarter comebacks, a third of his starts are fourth quarter comeback victories. So he's proven that he can throw them back into games if he needs to. So maybe as opposed to past seasons, it's not as important to get out ahead of New England. You still want to, but I think that they're they're capable if they get behind in this game. Let's go to Rich. Rich, what's up, man? You're on the nightcap. Sneaky Joe, how you doing? Good, how are you? Good, good. Just want to say this first. I've been watching the Bills since the late 70s. I would love them to do nothing more than either win by a point or win by 30 points against New England. However, I have a big predicament, and I kind of need your opinion on a fantasy question that I have. Shoot, what do you got? I have Brady, Dorsett, and Gordon. I have a number of other wide receivers. My question is I have Brady, and I have the Bills defense. I uh, am here. I can't go with my heart. I have to go with my head because of money issues. So I want to hear your opinion because I've heard you before, and I like what your opinions have been on fantasy questions. I'm so is this about the defense mostly? Pretty much. I'm I'm going to sit Gordon because I think uh, White's going to be on him like rice on beans or whatever the expression is. I, I, I can't sit Brady because of his past history. Um, so my question is, do I keep the Bills D and hope that we are playing as great as we've been these past three weeks? Um, you know, Rich, yeah, thanks, thanks for the call. It's a tough one because for me, I stream my defenses, in which I mean I usually drop and pick up different teams every week. Like, I would rather, I don't think they're playing this week, but if the Jets played the Raiders, they're not playing this week. The Jets have tough games um, right now. If the Jets were playing the Raiders this week, even though the Raiders' defense is terrible, I'd rather play them against a pitiful offense than play a good defense like the Bills against a really good offense like the Patriots. I look at the matchup, I think it's more important on who the offense is that you're playing than the defense that you actually are rostering. So, in this situation, I would try to look elsewhere. Um, This Bills defense, man, like they are good, and I would not be surprised at all if they held New England under 20 points. I'm not going to lie. I think they could very well hold them under 20 points. Um, They did it a couple times last season. If the Bills could have scored last year at all, if they had any semblance of an offense in that Monday night game, for instance, they'd probably win it. New England had a really hard time moving the ball. So I'm not saying New England's going to come out here and score 30 points. I would probably predict they're in the low 20s, and maybe they're below that. So they could have a good day, but... With Brady, with the Patriots, with all of it, it's a risk. It is a risk because they're capable of putting up big numbers. Whereas if you can find somebody who's playing the Jets, if you can find somebody who's playing the Dolphins, if you can find someone who's playing like the Denver right now, holy cow, Flacco. Play, play the defense that's playing those guys, I would say. 
Thanks for the call. We'll get back into football later on. I want to get into hockey, though. Um, I'm thinking about the Sabres a lot right now. Line combinations, wrist to line and trade. There was a trade today with Justin Falk from Carolina to St. Louis that might affect a wrist line and package or make you think a little harder about a package that wrist line and could get if they move them. Chad Dinaminicus is going to join me next talking some Sabres. Uh, we'll get your calls in later on, so thanks everybody for the calls here on WGR. I don't think it was playing center that was different. I think it was just not playing in a while and, and new systems and a little bit and all that. And I think that's mostly, I think playing center is fine. Uh, I like it. It gets you involved a lot, I think. And so I, li- I like that. It just it took a while to kind of get into things and then timing and stuff. I felt like kind of as the game started getting to an end, I kind of felt like I got a little bit more into the groove a little bit. It was a little bit choppy at first, but I mean, that's that's normal first game and three and a half months or whatever it is but playing center is fun I, I like it I think as I said it feels like it gets me involved a lot and that's fun that is Sabres I guess center for now Marcus Johansson speaking with our Paul Hamilton earlier today uh, we're gonna have Chad D Dominicus on here in just a second I'll ask him about Johansson uh, a little bit later on because I'm thinking about the lineup and where guys are fitting in as we're now nine days I think nine days Away from Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Got clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. The season opener. It's the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase flying solo here on WGR tonight. Let's bring him in now. Chad D. Dominicus of uh, SB Nation covering the Sabres. Um, Die by the Blade. You can follow him on Twitter at C-M-D-E-D-O-M-I-N-I-C-I-S. I, try, I tried to spell it there as quick as possible. Chad, you got, you got a tough name, I'll be honest. Like It took me a little while to learn how to pronounce <laughs> it in the first in the first place. No, it's, it's all good. It's, it's tough, I know, but you did a good job. I'll give you credit. All right, thanks, man. Um, so we had a little spat, I think, not even a spat, just a little back and forth on Twitter uh, earlier today. We're talking about Ristolainen, and so ju- it's born out of Justin Falk being moved to the Blues. And before we even get into the Sabres and Ristolainen, when you saw that trade, one, were you surprised by the way St. Louis because that caught me off guard, and two, were you surprised by the price that, or the return that came back? Uh, St. Louis definitely because they sort of came out of, nowhere, which is uh, odd that they're even looking for a defenseman, but I guess they had a small need there. But yeah, St. Louis was definitely surprising. Uh, the package, I guess I could say yes a little bit, and the reason I say that is because the, I guess, voided uh, first trade for Falk was for Andre Kashe from right. Anaheim, which is a much better player than what they got uh, in return from the Blues. So I guess in a way the package surprised me, but taking a step back, that kind of seems probably realistic for what the market is for a player like Falk. Right. So the two players, obviously, throughout the offseason that were talked about most that were right-shot defensemen in the trade market was Falk, who's now been moved, and now Ristolainen, who is still remaining on the Sabres. So my question to you as someone that's coming from this as... I've I've kind of been on this train almost all offseason, though, where I just... I guess I like Ristolainen a little bit more than some... I'm kind of caught in the middle. Some people love Ristolainen, some people hate him. I think I'm somewhere in between. And I've never really been in a place where I wanted to move him for picks and prospects. Are you in that point? Like, if, if that price comes 
through the door for the Sabres. They can get what Carolina got for Justin Falk. If you're the Sabre GM, are you taking that? Yeah, and I, it, it's my answer is yeah, and here's why. So let, let's equate it to Winnipeg because that makes the most sense. So let's say Winnipeg says, okay, here's Christian Veselainen, a first-round pick in 2017, uh, Matthew Perot in a pick. Yeah, I'm doing that. And I think the reason is, is realistically, I think Falk kind of showed you that besides the Kashi thing, which is interesting, Anaheim was overpay. But regardless, you know, that's kind of the running market. I mean, Falk, I think, is a very nice, comparable player. The way I've kind of put a lot on Twitter today is mm-hmm. I think Falk and Ristliner are essentially the same exact player, but Falk maybe gives you a little bit more 5-on-5 five five offensively, but Ristliner gives you more on the power play. So, mm-hmm. There's two things canceling out, but defensively, they're both not very good, according to their numbers. Right. So I, I think they're very similar players. If I'm not mistaken, Falk's a little bit older. His contract was up. So maybe risk lining kind of gives him more value because he's a little bit younger and his contract, you know, he was under contract for a couple more years. So I guess there's that type of thing. But I, I think any, I mean, you never know with hockey again. Right. Carolina almost got Kashi, but I think any hopes of being like a Nick Ehlers or like even a Patrick Liney, if you want, for Risto, like is. Unless you're having some monster package go risk risk the line in, I just don't think that's realistic. And I, I think any type of trade we're going to get here is you're going to get back if it's Winnipeg, like a Christian Veselainen, or maybe even a Jack Roslovic who has some more NHL experience. And I think that is definitely a deal they should take if it's there. I definitely think you make a really good point about risk the line and maybe being a little more valuable because he was younger and he doesn't need a contract. Like you, you trade for him and you've got him for a couple years here. Uh, Chad D. Dominicus is here on the West Her Hotline. Jody Biasi on the Nightcap. If everybody's healthy going into opening night, is Ristolainen even one of their six best defensemen? Like if you if you're making the lineup for opening night and everybody's healthy, is he even in your in your lineup? Well, I, I think right now he's one of your six best defensemen, but I think if everybody's healthy, in my opinion, he would be your fourth best right shot defenseman. So I would put Miller ahead of him. I even I would put Yoki Haro in the lineup ahead of him, and I would put Montour in the lineup ahead of him. Now, you they they played Yoki Haro on the left side. A couple of times in preseason games, he said himself he kind of prefers the right side, though. Mm-hmm. So maybe if they really want to Yoki Haru with him, they can put him on the left side and they can bump Scandella out. But I don't know. They seem to like Scandella for some reason so far. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, if Bristol's here, he's in, he's in your top six, and that's just the way it is, and you deal with it. But I, that's one of the things that scares me is, you know, while you're getting a lesser return in a trade potentially, I'd rather do that and have Yoki Haru in my lineup, then have Rift Line in my lineup, and Yoki Haru in the minors. Like that's, yeah. That doesn't sound like a good idea at all to me. Yeah, I definitely agree with that part, at the very least, because Yoki Haru is the guy I'm excited about. I was super pumped when I saw that trade and started learning more about the player uh, when they traded Alex Nylander for him. Um, so on Rift Line, and maybe like if we're talking trade destinations here, because I think Winnipeg is so clearly the most often mentioned team for him. Is there another team you think about a lot? I think I saw you mention Anaheim. We, you mentioned Kashi a couple here uh, times here. Like, would they be the next team that people maybe aren't talking? They're, if you look at the ratio, I would think that Saber fans are mentioning Winnipeg in a Ristolainen trade versus Anaheim. It's probably a huge gap. But should we be maybe thinking about the Ducks a little more? I, I think so. Yeah, I, I think there's, you know, in Friedman had a thing in a 31 thoughts that Anaheim is really looking for a right shot defense and still, and all the fault deal didn't happen. So, I mean, there's an obvious need there now. They could go after Honka out of Dallas. So, I mean, there's another right-shot defenseman still in the market with him requesting a trade. Mm-hmm. But I, I think risk line makes sense. We've seen Bottero and Murray make a trade. So they have a path. You know, they're 
risk mining could have came up in those conversations, we, you know, it, it's possible back then around the Montour deal. So, you know, I, I'm not sure you're going to get Kashi out of them, um, but maybe, maybe you can somehow get Raquel. But I feel like if you're going to get Ricard Raquel, you're going to have to add on the favor side. I don't know. I mean, maybe there's some lower end prospects that I, you know, I haven't studied the Ducks prospects enough, but I don't think you're going to get Troy Terry or Sam Steele out of them. I think it might be a lower end prospect beyond them. So I I think Anaheim is definitely a possibility. Um, I mean, they have so many bodies. So if you want to get creative and get some sort of package and maybe you can pry Raquel out of there somehow, because it is Bob Murray and you never know, um, I would definitely be on board with that. But I, I think, I think Anaheim makes sense and, you know, Winnipeg and, I think Detroit is even a team that's kind of been out there. It'd be weird for, like, a divisional trade, but those things happen. And if Bottero's not afraid of it, then I think Detroit could possibly be a team, too. But it's just it's just hard to see that, you know, with the season a week away. I mean, right. I don't care how just did it, but I, I can't see that type of big thing happening, I guess, within the next week. But you never know. I want to go over the forwards a little bit with you uh, in a second, but one more on Ristolainen. If he is in the lineup, if he is on this team for the foreseeable future on the roster, how do you think is the best way to play him? What's the best way to utilize Ristolainen? I know I think I saw, maybe it was you or somebody else, tweeted out uh, his numbers and how they looked with different partners, and it seemed like Lawrence Pilot he had the best stats with. If, if he's on this lineup, what's the best way to use Ristolainen? Uh, well, it, it's not with Rasmus Dallin in the top pair. I mean, right, which was <laughs> what it was at practice today. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, But, yeah, it, it's weird. You know, it, it's a lot of partners he does. I mean, we know Scandella and Rick is literally almost one of the worst pairs you can put together <laughs> in hockey. Yeah. So that, that shouldn't be the case. McCabe's numbers are okay, but still not great. Um, even with Dallin, his numbers are not that good when they're together. It's, it's odd. You think it could work, but it really doesn't. Even in that preseason game, like, their numbers – their underlying numbers were not very good in that game. And, you know, Pilot, for some odd reason, has, like, the mystery key to work with the line. <laughs> so, I don't know. But he's out until mid-October, at least, yeah. if not later. So, I don't know. I, just, I, I think they have to – I understand Montour is out, but it's just figure it out. The default setting cannot be like, okay, Montour is out. All right, let's put Ristolainen back in the top here until then. Like, yep. no. Like, it, it doesn't work. Put Miller up there. Put Yokihara up there until uh, uh, two weeks into the season. The Montour's back and figure it out. Just, I, I just, you know, this is again. I, this is my biggest fear going into the season. Is everybody said, well, it's a new coach, so they know to reduce his minutes. They know to change his usage. And we're a week away from the season. The guy is practicing on the top pair. It could change, but a week away from the season, it looks like that's what we're trending towards right now. Chad D. Dominicus is on the Wester Hotline. You can follow him on Twitter at CMD Dominicus. Uh, a couple guys I want to ask you about up front, mostly at center. I noticed, uh, or I read your piece on Casey Middlesat and his breakdown against the Maple Leafs. And I had Paul Hamilton on on Saturday on our Saturday show, and he see, like he was floating it out there, like, hey, maybe this guy starts in Rochester, even if it's not likely. Like maybe there's a chance, depending on what Cousins does and depending on what some of these other centermen do. Maybe Johansson starts playing center more. Middlestat going into this year, how optimistic are you that there'll be a jump uh, from last year in his rookie year? Well, it depends who he plays with. Is he going to play with C.J. Smith and Kyle Apostle hard this season? I mean, that's you know that's what he had against Toronto in Toronto, pretty much against Matthews and Nylander. So. You know, you got to kind of take that into account. But can he play with primarily an AHL team? Well, in the Sabres roster, so those are some factors you got to take in. I, I think if he's surrounded with the right players, that I, I think he can be fine. He can see a jump. It's 
it'll be interesting. This is the second year in a row now where I think Bottle's kind of, in a way, not set him up for the most success, not sheltering him with another center to kind of protect him. So really, again, you're relying on him to kind of be your your second line playmaking center. I mean, because I, I just I, there's just no way they're going to put him in Rochester. I, I just can't see that happening. And if you do, well, then guess where your flip side is? Well, then that means Vlad Saboka is going to be a center on your team. So then your centers are going to be Eichel, Johansson, Saboka, and Larson probably. Ugh. Would you rather just have Middlestad in there and hopefully he can figure it out with his offensive upside and his creativity? Like that seems like a much better idea, even if there's some little struggles here. But I really did not mind his game against Toronto. I thought the first two periods he looked fine. He played pretty well. He, he had some things defensively in his game crop up, but that's why I think you attach a defensive forward to him to kind of help him. Maybe like a Johansson, I guess if he's going to play center, he can't really do that, but maybe Sam Reinhart makes sense there. You can attach him with Middlestead and kind of help him out there. So there's ways you can do it. This coach has to get creative, but I, I just you can't send him to Rochester because they need him. They need him to be a creative offensive force because, like I just said, if he's not there, then your centers below him have zero creativity besides Johansson a little bit if he's in a play center. Yep, I do really like the idea of Reinhardt playing with him, being paired with him all year. Um, one more on uh, on the forward group and at center. Johansson's been skating at center a couple times here, and I remember we had, I think it was Steve Wino, a Capitals reporter, uh, earlier in the summer, right after they signed him, who said he's not his best position is not center. It's not center. And I think we've heard that about Reinhardt too a lot. His best position is not center. He's better on the wing. And I wonder that... If the Sabres have reached a point where, and I've had this thought throughout the summer, if it's not necessarily about where he's best, Johansson, in this uh, situation, but is he the second best option for that position? So your thoughts on Johansson as a center in general and uh, his being the second-line center right now, how ideal is it? Yeah, I agree with Steve. I don't don't think that's where he should be playing. Uh, He didn't play there in New Jersey. He didn't play there. He went to Boston. So it's been a while since he's played the position. I just think at this point in his career, I mean, he's not necessarily too old. He's only 20 years old, but I think the wing fits him better. Uh, if he's your best option at center, you know, over Rodriguez or even over moving Reinhardt, again, I think you could look at the general manager and say he failed to get a center for the second year in a row. So it's not ideal. I could see where them they get to that error, that thought process of maybe just trying and see how it goes, but I'm not confident it's going to go well. And then, then what happens if that doesn't go well? Then you got to hope it's Rodriguez. Right. I just, again, he might, for those who follow me, I'm a big, let's just put Sam Reinhardt at center and see what happens. Maybe one or two games. They failed to do it at the end of last year and they'll have the playoffs. They tried Johansson at center. They tried other players at center throughout camp, but still Reinhardt just never got a chance. I, I didn't see the harm, maybe even early in the season, giving him one game, maybe two, and just see how that goes. And if it doesn't work, okay, he goes back to wing, no harm. But, you know, say they're not going to try it and, I, I don't know, and I don't think your answer is Dylan Cousins this year. I don't think he's as well, as good as he's played. I don't think he's ready to step in. And I also don't want to rush him either. I'll just send him back and let him dominate juniors. So it, it's unfortunate. I don't think he's going to sit at center, or at least last for mm-hmm. a long time. But I guess you can hope that maybe if he has the right wingers that you know that can work in some capacity. I definitely agree completely with the Reinhardt thought. Like, just let's see what he's got because when you looked at where when Housley tried him for that little bit in his first season, he was playing primarily with I think Seth Griffith, who was back in the AHL like within weeks, and I think yeah. Gergensen's was maybe the Gergensen's yeah. or Pouliot, like one of those guys. Like he now Gergensen's Griffith and. Baptiste were his top three most common armies. Baptiste, of course. Um, yeah, but like right now, like if you throw him in there with, it doesn't even have to be Skinner, but 
I don't know. I just feel like he I feel like he he took a jump last year and he was driving play more often. He wasn't just a net front presence guy and yeah, wouldn't it make sense that you give him better line mates and he's going to do better at it than he did a couple of years ago? I mean, here's the thing too you got to think about. Like he's going to go into free agency and you know, restricted free agency, so he's owed a new contract. If he plays center and plays it well but the points aren't there, that's probably going to help you in the long run in free agency. If you're going to keep him on the wing mm-hmm. and you're going to play him with Jack Eichel and Victor Olsen, he's probably going to throw up like 65 to 75 points. And if he goes to arbitration, the point thing is huge in arbitration. And he's, I mean, either way, he throws up that point total, he's going to get paid a lot of money. We're moving him to center. He might not be as prolific in terms of generating points, but he can still drive a line. He can still, you know, help defensively in his point might come down a little bit, but still might help the team in the long run. But, and that's just something to think about, but it just, like I said, it, it doesn't look like they're going to go that route at all. Right, agree. Hey, Chad, thanks for joining me, man. Uh, I always appreciate you taking the time for us, and uh, I look forward to the next chat. All right, man, sounds good. There he is. Thanks for joining me. There's Chad D. Dominicus on the West Her Hotline. You can follow him on Twitter, as I said, at CMD Dominicus. You can read his stuff at Die by the Blade. Uh, that's going to no, not actually wrap up our Sabre talk. I want to get back into it a little bit uh, when we come back. I, I got more thoughts on Ristolainen and the Justin Falk trade that I want to get to, uh, and we want your calls to 803-0550 if you got any thoughts on the Sabres. It is the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. First thing that sticks out is the the way he skates. He moves up and on the ice well. I think he joins the rush. He makes a good first breakout pass, and, and obviously he can really wire the puck. So pretty happy that he kind of muffined one off my ribs there to start the game. I think seeing him wire a couple later in the game, I'm pretty happy that he didn't get all of that one. I might have been in a little bit of trouble. So he was good for us tonight, and obviously he's going to help our team this year. Jack Eichel talking about Victor Olofsson, who should be probably be in the Sabres top six the entire season I put him right there with Eichel all year do it listen you paid Skinner I'd like to see Skinner you know be Eichel's his right hand man left hand man maybe in this situation for the foreseeable future but I, there's something about Olafson's game with the, that just seems to mesh so well with Eichel's I was a I was not very optimistic about Olafson. I was late to that party when I for, when I was seeing him come through development camps over and over and prospect tournaments and prospect challenges and even in the beginning in Rochester the shot was evident you saw it but to be honest I didn't see much else in his game and credit to him because I think he's come a long way in developing the rest of it his skating is really nice his hands have developed really well his his sense of where to be um it, it seems to all have come together, and since the shot is there, that gives him a dynamic weapon. Um, so if the rest, the rest of it really just had to come to a certain level of good, and I think it has happened. So now he's made a case to be on your first line, and that's a big, big addition because the Sabers. How long have they needed these? mid-round, late-round picks, just one or two once in a while to come through and be really good for you. Where's our, you know, where's our, uh, Tampa's got a bunch of these guys. Where's our Andre Palat, who's a seventh-round pick, who scores like 50 points for them? Where's our, same thing, Tyler Johnson in Tampa, 50 points all the time, undrafted. Where's that guy? We haven't had him. The only guys to produce on this team are the ones we tanked for. 
or were really bad for. Not one of them we really tanked for. Um, and here's a guy now that's coming through that's going to be a top six addition out of nowhere. You don't have to give up anything up for him. But they still need that center. I think they have it on the roster. Why won't they try Reinhardt down the middle? I, I appreciate that they're trying Johansson down the middle. I just don't think it'll work as well. Because again, it should not be... Is Johansson better at wing than center? It should not be, is Reinhardt better at wing than center? The question we should be asking is, who's the second best player on this team right now? Who's the second best center on this team right now? And the answer to that, to me, is almost clearly Sam Reinhardt. Far and away. He was a 60, what, 65 point player last year at wing? If he gave you, if he took a big hit, in points. Like, say he went down to 50. Say he went down to 50. He lost 20%, that's probably terrible math, but 20% of his points by switching positions. He'd still be your second best center. And to me, it would be by a pretty sizable margin. Middle stat, until he shows he's ready, isn't it. Rodriguez, by the way, was a winger that you moved to center. He's done a great job at it, but he's not going to be putting up the points Reinhardt is. And Johansson, again, I think I like the idea of him. He might be your third best center on the team. But if it's one or the other, I think I'd rather have it be Reinhardt. You give him some good wingers, which he never had at that position. He got nine games as an 18-year-old on a tanking team to try center, and it didn't work, and they sent him back to juniors. Then he got a week of it with Seth Griffith, Nick Baptiste, and Zemgus Gjergensen, and it didn't work. What do you expect? You got him on a fourth line playing center. Twice. In one of the times he was 18 on a tanking team. That was a, that was a tanking fourth line. Give him a real chance that he has never had. Give him Skinner. Do that. Give him Skinner and VC, And see what happens. With him down the middle. Eichel will be fine. He'll have Olsen. And you can give him Sherry. You've got enough wingers to make it work. Because they, they have depth there now. VC's been on their third line. Bump him up. No, I didn't even mention Johansson. Put Johansson with Reinhardt. Or Skinner. Or Olofsson. Give him someone competent. And I guarantee you it will work. Better than what they had last year. He'll be leaps and bounds better at it than the than middles, a rookie middle stat, Sabotka and Larson. Those were their secondary centers last year. You cannot tell me that Reinhardt switching positions, even though he's switching positions, wouldn't be an immediate upgrade down the middle. And they need that immediate upgrade. And at this point, looking at what Justin Falk got traded for today, I'm not very confident Ristolainen's going to be enough to get you that back. Unless you're packaging some other stuff, which I do, but I don't know if they're going to. 803 is the phone number. Uh, I got a few more thoughts on the Sabres lineup, and I do want to get full force into football. So... Spend another moment on time on some of the Sabre line combinations, more so on the blue line um, that I'm looking at. And with Montour out, Yogi Haru, uh, like what is that going to look like? They might be a good defense. Maybe. Well, we'll poke around there, and then we'll get back into Bills and Patriots here on the Nightcap on WGR. Helping you unwind after a long day of work. I think he's kind of a boob. Ken really taking the day south as a person. You can't go out there and be a moron 
It doesn't work like that. The Nightcap. We're eating their food. On WGR Sports Radio 550. Speaking of Linus Allmark, he's been great so far in the preseason. Maybe he'll start opening night. We'll see. A lot of Sabre questions going on around the lineup right now. They still have a million defensemen. And that's kind of what I'll spend some time on here now, going over that. But any Sabre thoughts you might have, we're also uh, on the Bills-Patriots game, which we'll dive back into in probably about 20 minutes. We'll get fully back into uh, Bills-Patriots for this week. A couple of 3-0 and teams going at it in New Air Field. Uh, Sabre thoughts, though. 803-0550 is the phone number. Let's roll through a couple of calls uh, before I get into the blue line a little bit here. Let's go to Pat. Pat, what's up, man? You're on the nightcap. I'm just uh, a little disappointed in the whole media in Buffalo there because uh, the way they're they're kind of pushing out Rustelainen, and I think they're, he's a defenseman they're going to need if you want to win a cup. Why do they Why do they need him? They have three other right shot defensemen that are just as good, if not better. They They don't play his style. He's a winner. He's been a winner since he was junior, and I think you guys are quick. He, he's a winner. He's been their best defenseman, and they haven't made the playoffs in nine years. And he's been here for like seven of it. So the whole rebuild is his fault. No, not all of it, but him being your best defenseman is clearly a problem. Well, maybe he's not ready to be a best defenseman. He, he's not ready. He's he's in his going to his eighth season. How much better is he going to get? You can't put a guy coming out of uh, junior with that type of pressure that he. Deserves. He's not coming out of junior. He's been in the league for almost a decade. Look at look at uh, Eichel. Yeah, what about him? He's he's supposed to be a better player than him. Have they won with him? So is it whose fault is it? You're trying to- Eichel produces, though. Ristolainen does not. There's a big difference. Eichel plays big minutes, and he puts up the points. Ristolainen plays big minutes, and he... Sure, he puts up the points because he's getting a lot of power play time, but in his own end, he's a disaster. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You talking about points? Russellina puts up the points. No, that's what I said. But I said in his own end, he's a disaster, and that's where his mu- that's where he needs to be at his best, and he's not. Not a disaster. You guys are just always pushing out player like you did O'Reilly, and you pushing out. I wasn't pushing out O'Reilly. I hated that trade. I never wanted them to trade him. Uh, and then like like, so it's ridiculous. Why do you think Russellina's a winner? By the way, what what makes him a winner? Is it his style? No, I think he's he's when it comes down to it, he'll play the hard, the game you need to play to win the cup. And, and it's proven last year with St. Louis, they didn't win with freestyling. Yes, they did. Yes, here's here's the problem. Everyone has said that it's because the national broadcasters kept putting it. Like Barry Melrose, for instance, on ESPN, was always talking about how the Blues had this tough nose, grinded out, like big type of team. If you look at how the Blues were good. You look at their defensemen who played the most minutes. You look at their forwards who played the most minutes. It was puck movers. It was speed, and it was skill. The under the the depth of their team was a little bit bigger and a little bit meaner. But their important players that were driving the bus that were making them a good team were the modern day puck moving defensemen, and they were the fast skilled forwards like Jaden Schwartz, like Vladimir Tarasenko, like uh, even O'Reilly, who is, his number one asset is skill. It's putting up offense. Listen, I want Ristolainen to stay here if you're not going to get value for him. If they're not going to get, if they're only going to get what the Hurricanes got for Justin Falk, I'd rather have him here. I'd rather have him here 
Because I'm curious to see what he looks like on a second or third pair. I'm curious to see what he looks like not playing 25 minutes a night. Not playing on the top power play unit. Not playing on the top penalty kill unit. Not playing when you're down one goal at the end of games. Also not playing when you're up one goal at the end of games. Because I have better guys to do it. Then what does he look like? Then what do his numbers look like? I'm curious to see that. Problem is, we already got him skating with Darlene again. I'm not sure that'll hold up. But the problem is, if you move him now for that, for picks and prospects, how does that make me better today? Because that's not the value you should be getting back for him. I don't need. You shouldn't trade him because you feel like you need to. Only trade him if you think you get the proper value. You'll get yourself into trouble if you're making trades because you think you need to do them. That's exactly what they did with O'Reilly. They felt they needed to move O'Reilly. They took the best offer that was out there because they thought they had to take whatever the best offer was. And in reality, they did not get the value they deserved. And it look how it looks now. And I don't think Ristolainen possesses the type of ability that O'Reilly does to make them, you know, to make all of us go crazy. To an extent, not crazy, but Bristol Lion is not going to be holding up the Consumite Trophy or the Norris. I don't think he's going to be showing up to the NHL awards winning stuff. He's not that good, but he's good. I think he's a certain amount of good. I think on a second pair on a good team, he can be a good defenseman for you. He can play on the power play, he can provide offense, and he's a headache in his own end, but. There's a lot of defensemen around the league that that you can work around with that if you protect them in the right situation. And he's been in the worst situation. He's been the top defenseman on on the worst team in hockey. Do not move him for picks and prospects. That would be my thing. But to think that he is a vital piece to turning this thing around. Come on. He's had more, way more, then deserved than the opportunity. Let me try that again. He's had way more time to to be the guy to turn that blue line around, and he's never done it. He's never earned the to be the position he's in. He's never earned being the top defenseman on a team, but they've had to have him there because of circumstance. Time's up. You're a second pair defenseman. If I'm gonna win a cup, you're not on my top pair. No way. So, if I can find another team that thinks he's a top pair guy, that's when you move him. And the way Winnipeg is setting up right now, I really think they should, uh, they, I don't think they should, but I think they definitely could be thinking that. All right, let's get back in the phone lines. I got a little heated there. Let's go to Jerry. Jerry, you're on the nightcap. What's up? You know, I was going to talk, uh, talk about the line pairings, but... <laughs> I think there's some weird players on this team, and, and Ruffalainen is a perfect example. He has a very nice skill set, you know, from his hands to his speed to his aggressiveness. But how does that translate to being one of the worst plus-minus players in the league over the last five years? How does that happen with a guy with a skill set like that? Is it physical tools that are good and his mental game is bad? How, how did Gergensen go from being the best player on these types of really go wrong for him? I think we got, a, we, got a, we got misguided to what he was going to be at the beginning of his career because they were tanking and because he was their number one center. Okay. I, yeah, I have is it might be the most important thing in today's defenseman is 
the ability to know where to pass the puck out of your own end and the ability to hit that pass. And those are two things he's not good at. So yes, he can shoot the puck better than any defenseman on this team. He can carry the puck maybe better, well, other than Deline. He can carry the puck up there with the best of them. He's big. He can hit. He's fast. All of it. He's got all the physical stuff. But when he has to think, especially in his own end, where to go with the puck and then to actually execute that pass... He lacks in those skill sets. And that's where I think his biggest deficiency is. That's where I think the plus minus, but even like the, the more um, advanced underlying numbers, that's why he looks bad in those. You know, can I, can I make one Bills comment that concerns me with this team moving forward? Yeah, of course. Go ahead. Um, they're used to being the underdog. And when, the, when, when you coach a team that's an underdog, you want to shorten the game. You know, fewer possessions. You have a better chance of beating the Patriots over one quarter than you do over eight quarters. Um, uh-huh. It's a favorite. You can't have that same mentality. And I'm concerned these first three games, they've shown a little bit of it. Get ahead and then, you know, coast a little and shorten the game. No, you. when you're the better team, you want to lengthen the game because you would never play the Patriots in a hundred quarter game and win ever. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right, yeah, I know what you mean. They need to change. Like, they have been so seldom the favorite, and they will be in some of these games down the stretch, you know, the rest of the year, heavy favorites in some of them. Seven, when is the last time we've been a seven-point favorite? You know, it's when you're the better team, you want more possessions. You want the game to last longer because, in the end, the better team usually wins in a longer contest. It's. Mm-hmm. I, I hope they can figure that out because they still play at times still way too conservatively. And, and honestly, back to the accuracy question that I've heard people talk about in the, in the deep passing game with, with, uh, with Josh Allen, a player that's an, a quarterback that is inaccurate, do you want him to have 11 and 12 and 14 play drives? No, he's eventually going to make a mistake. I, I, I wish they were more aggressive. Yeah, I wonder. Thanks for the call, uh, Jerry. You took me all over the road there. Uh, I, not that I mind it. We went from Gergensons to Ristolainen to the Bills. But I do think on your last point there, I wonder if they have waited on the vertical passing game, the bombs, the, the what you're talking about, not having to go on the big, long drives. I wonder if they're saving that for New England. Dable knows. He's talked about it. New England does something different every week. And I think Dable might know that and maybe try to do the same thing. Um, so I, I wonder if they might open it up and be a little more aggressive uh, on Sunday. One final hockey thought in before we get back into football. Uh, let's go to Jay. Jay, you're on the nightcap. What's up? Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Hang out. I'm in Boston here. All right. Cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, sorry. Yeah, I'm going to flip to the Bills afterward. I think it would be an absolute mistake to trade Risto. Now, I know the guy hasn't played up to his potential, but he has everything that you need in a good, strong defenseman. And I really think it comes down to coaching. And if Kruger is the guy that everybody says he is, let's give him a chance to see how he plays in his system. Owsley's system was horrible. And, and his plus minus, yeah, it's not him too, but it's a reflection of the poor team that he's played with. Would you at least acknowledge, though, that he's not a guy you can have in your top pair? He can't be one of your best defensemen. I think he's a top four defenseman. And I think his appropriate place is on the second pairing. He brings play on the power play, and he brings a physical, nasty style that we don't have on any of these defensive teams. 
I think he's a great fit for our team, and I'd really like to see what he can do under Kruger. I, I kind of thanks for the call, man. I got I got to let you go though because your connection was kind of going in and out there. Um, I, I agree and disagree with you. I agree in that I would like to see what he looks like with Kruger. I would like to see what he looks like in the system, and also see what he looks like like you're talking about. I think he might be closer to a third pair guy than a first pair guy, but I think we've, we would ultimately land in the middle. That if he's on your second pair, fine. So if that's the case, going in, what does it look like? And I do want to see that. I'm curious, but. I care more, and I think the team should care more, and I think most teams are starting to care more about moving the puck, passing the puck, the ability to skate it out of your own end, all the stuff Darlene is good at. Think about that. Darlene is far and away, so easily going to be this team's best defenseman. It's not even going to be close. And you ever, do you ever see, uh, like you're watching him on, on TV or whatever, you're st- watching him stand up straight from the side. He looks like, he looks like a stick figure. He's so thin. Obviously he's a kid. He's 18. Or is he 19 now? So, you know, fine. But he doesn't have that. He's not going to cross check in front of the net. He's not going to outmuscle you in the corner. He's not going to, he's, I mean, he'll hit you, but he's not going to, mash your face into the boards. All the stuff that... The guy that I always think about this is Robin Regeer. That's all the stuff Robin Regeer was good at. But he didn't have any of the rest of it. Darlene is good at all the stuff that modern defensemen are getting a lot of credit for. That's the difference. That's where Ristolainen's lacking. All the stuff Darlene's good at, Ristolainen is not. And that's why Darlene's a better defenseman. And that's why he's going to always be a better defenseman. And that's why the Sabres got Montour, who's good at that stuff too. And got Colin Miller, who's good at that stuff too. And Yoki Haru, who's good at that stuff. And Pilot. And Casey Nelson. Their blue line has three guys left that could play big minutes that don't fit what I think you should want your blue line to be able to do. Those three guys are Bogosian, Scandella, and Ristolainen. Now, Ristolainen's the best of the three, and I think probably by even a wide margin. But I, how am I getting Ristol, or how am I getting Scandella off this team? I could waive him, but I still got to pay him for the most part. How am I getting Bogosian off this team? I'd love to say there's a team out there that would trade for him, but I think that would have already happened by now. Maybe they're waiting for him to get healthy. Who knows? Ristolainen's the only one of the three that provides value. And me personally, I don't want three defensemen that don't play the style they should want to play. Because everyone they've brought in does do that. And if you want Yoki Haru in this lineup, who plays that style, who is good and young, and you don't want him in the AHL, he appears to be ready for the NHL right now. If you want to get him in your lineup, Chad D. Dominicus brought this up last segment, or last hour, then you need to move one of these guys. And Ristolainen has always been the answer because of his value. But here's the thing. If the value's not there, like this Justin Falk trade, then don't rush it. What's the point of rushing it? You should want to move him, but you shouldn't have to move him. That's the that's the gap here. So, at the end of the day, for me on Ristolainen, what it is overall is, I don't need him off this team. I don't need him traded. You should want to trade him, though. 
but you should only want to trade him for something that's going to help you up front right now. That's it. Otherwise, let's see what happens if he's on your second or third pair. Let's see what happens. That's what you do. But if you move him now in a panic because you don't want him in your opening night, opening night last, ugh, roster and you don't get proper value, then maybe it's not as bad as the O'Reilly trade, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be in the same vein. And you're going to regret it. I think we're all going to regret it. The same way, if you don't regret that the Sabres traded O'Reilly right now, man, you just don't get it. 803-0550 is the phone number. Any uh, last Sabre thoughts, bring them in. 803-0550, and uh, we'll get back into the Bills and the Patriots when we come back on the Nightcap on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR. Got about a half hour left. We'll get into the Bills and Patriots in just a second. One last thought, though, on the Sabres. Matt, you're on the nightcap. What's up, man? Taking the call tonight. Uh, yeah, I was just curious. A couple of friends of mine at work were talking about this today again. Uh, got brought off. It was from a few days ago. We're in a blockbuster offer to the Jets uh, for Ristolainen, Sheary, and two first-rounders for Patrick Laine. I just wanted to see if, A, if you believe any truth in that uh, story, and, B, what would your thoughts be if that is, in fact, an offer that the Sabres put on the table? I'll, I'll say this. If it... Uh... If that deal were to happen, I would be super excited. Um, it makes sense that that deal would happen, or a type of deal like that, you know what I mean? Ristolainen is a guy Winnipeg needs uh, with Buffalo out, right-shot defenseman. And to be honest, the Sabres, maybe that's the type of move they make. Because if you look and see that Falk trade today, and you're not satisfied with that, what's your next option? If you still want to trade Ristolainen, rather than trade him straight up and get whatever you get for just him... Package him with, yeah, a big package like that. Throw in some picks. Throw in Connor Sherry. Then what do you get? And who knows about Patrick Laine right now, man? I mean, I think he's a really good player. He had a weird season last year. But who knows in terms of, like, what Winnipeg wants to do with him? They got guys to pay, and who knows how happy they are with him. So I don't want to say it's impossible, but if it were to happen, I would would be stoked. I mean, I would be... Is there a move that could fire you up more than the Sabres trading for Patrick Line? So I'm not going to be a Debbie Downer here. If, if it happened, I would be fired up. And I hope it happens because not only would it be exciting, because there's moves like that, right, where if you make it, it's exciting. If the Bills traded a first-round pick for A.J. Green tomorrow, it would be exciting. But is it smart to trade a first-round pick for a rental 32-year-old wide receiver with an injury history? No. This one, if that happened, that, inter- that rumor that's out there, uh, which... No one credible I've seen has reported it, but Sherry, uh, Ristolainen, and two first for Line A. It's a little, it's an overpay. Two first is a lot, but you could argue it's smart. If you're trying to be good right now, that's the way to do it. I mean, Line A, jeez, of course that's the way to do it. A 44, uh, 44 goals a couple years ago, a bad year last year, he still had 30, and he's 20, 21, super young. All right, let's get back into the Bills, and let's uh, let's do it with Brian Baldinger. Radio.com, NFL Insiders, our interview of the day. He was on with Howard and Jeremy this morning. He had such a funny tweet uh, yesterday. He's going over the Dawson Knox uh, play. Who would, That play's getting a lot, of, a lot of fuel right now. It was awesome. Just Dawson Knox going beast mode on the Bengals' uh, defense. And Baldinger loved that play. You'll hear it out of him here as he does that. And some other film uh, breakdown with Howard and Jeremy uh, on the morning show earlier today. One of the fascinating storylines on Sunday is what the Bills' offense can do. 
if anything, against the New England Patriots, whose defense has looked very good, albeit against the Steelers, although they had Roethlisberger, but they, they beat him up pretty good. And then the, uh, the Dolphins and the Jets. Can the Bills put some points up? Can they get some touchdowns? Can Josh Allen not look like many young quarterbacks against Belichick defenses confused and frustrated? So that's all on the table. But we wanted to get a national perspective. And, of course, that's when we turn to our Radio.com NFL insider, Brian Baldinger. He is the host of Prevent Defense, an NFL podcast out now on Radio.com and the Radio.com app. And Insider Calls on WGR brought to you by Indeed. Post a job today at Indeed.com slash hire. And Brian is joining us right now. It's Howard and Brayton. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on with us today. Well, it's good to be with you guys, man. I'm sure you're uh, pretty excited about what's going on and What's coming up here? No, the three and three and zero is rather matter of fact around here, Brian. You know it happens on a regular basis. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No. All right. Well. No, I we're mean, pumped. I, yeah. Yeah, you should be. You yeah. Should be. It's a good. It's a good looking team and a team that's becoming a team. Uh, a lot of new pieces. A lot of new players. A lot of players that people probably haven't heard of that are all really contributing here. So it's uh, it's been fun to watch. Yeah, I was just I'm looking at Twitter and uh, a, a local Twitter, one of the Twitter accounts that I follow, a Bills account, has retweeted something you put out there. And it was the 49-yard touchdown, or excuse me, the 49-yard gain by Dawson Knox. And you pointed out Cody Ford and congratulating his teammate. And you wrote, this is becoming a real team. I love watching them play. Why do you love watching them play right now? Well, I, 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 they play hard. They play really hard. Um, they do a lot of things really well. Uh, and they have a lot of young players that are developing. I mean, Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano. And, you know, and then the pieces that they've added were really good pieces, instrumental. I mean, what Cole Beasley's doing, John Brown, uh, you know, the rookie tight ends and Sweeney and Knox. And, you know, I mean, it's just it's coming together. A lot of new pieces in the offensive line with Mitch Moores and, you know, what they're doing to go with Deion Dawkins and some guys. I mean, it's, um, you know, they've rebuilt this team on the fly here, and they've added really good pieces. And what Sean McDermott does defensively is not really easy to figure out. And so it's all those pieces combined. You know, I know it's only September, but, you know, it's, uh, they're off to a good start, obviously. But they are coming together, and they rally around each other. And, you know, for that home opener, that was an exciting game to lose that lead to – and then to get it back and to go down the field and score like that. Um, it's been a long time since you've seen just an, a real entertaining product. Brian, with Josh Allen, we've been talking a lot about him today, and you can see improvement from last season to this season. I don't think there's any question about that. You do a lot of tape breakdowns, some great work watching tape. When you are watching a young quarterback and you're trying to figure out if this guy is improving, you know, if, if you know, he's really trending in the right direction, what are the tip-offs? What are the signs you look for to judge whether this young quarterback is getting better and learning? Well, first of all, the guy plays with incredible poise. I mean, he never looks like he ever gets tired. Uh, I've never seen him, I mean, even on that last drive when he's just running it and scrambling and getting out of a jam. <clears throat> I mean, the guy never fatigues. Like, it's just a it, – it's, you know, it's something that only the great athletes really have. You know, LeBron is like that. Michael Jordan was like that. And he's, he, he has that ability just to, <clears throat> to really never – I mean, I've never seen him ever get tired in a football game. And then he, he's a leader. Uh, and then as far as, you know, look, people didn't think he could ever become a passer. Well, I, look, he's not, he's not ready to be Drew Brees yet. But 
I don't know of anybody that runs as much as he does and scrambles as much as he does, that if you are being chased like that, that you're ever going to be pinpoint accurate. But he's accurate enough right now. He's making third down throws. He's, he sees the field well. And for all those things, I think that we're, we're seeing an unfinished product, but an improving product. We're with uh, Brian Baldinger, Radio.com NFL Insider, on our Western Hotline. I wanted to get your thoughts on some of the other teams in the league, Brian, but one other thing about the Bills. A moment ago you talked about Sean McDermott's defenses, and they're not easy to figure out. Why? What's he, what are they doing that makes it difficult? Well, they give you a lot of different looks. They have a, a good pass rush uh, scheme uh, where a lot of guys are getting to the quarterback. But they play a lot of combination man zone. And it's not, it's not just – I'm trying to figure out the best way to describe it on the radio without uh, giving anything away. But they, they – look, they, they have good players, but Sean puts them in good positions to make plays. And so, I mean, I've seen Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer – cut from different teams around this league, but they're good safeties on this team. They understand what they're asked to do. They don't, they don't ask these guys to go play one-on-one against John Ross. That wouldn't be smart, but they're in positions where they're good tacklers and they're playing downhill and they're, they're not out of position very often. And they've got a stud middle linebacker in Tremaine Edmonds who people have a hard time throwing the ball over his head because he's so big and rangy. But he's a good cover of tight ends, and tight ends kill teams in this league right now. But he can cover tight ends with his size. And so I'm, I'm pointing out specific things, mm-hmm. but he's putting these players in a position where they can be successful. And that's smart football. Brian, in terms of the Patriots, let's get your thoughts in on New England, 3-0. and uh, Their defense has yet to give up an offensive touchdown. Granted, you know, they haven't played at least the last two games offensive behemoths either. But as you look at New England now, give me your assessment, because a lot of people are talking about they're banged up on offense, they've lost some key players, Gronk retired, but their defense looks tremendous. Well, they didn't give up a touchdown in the Super Bowl either. Yeah, know? that's I mean, true. Yeah. A, I mean, they, yeah. they had Patrick Mahomes shut out for three quarters. Yeah. Uh, they gave up one touchdown to the Los Angeles Chargers. I mean, this has been going on for a while. They are the most difficult team to prepare for offensively because nobody is as effective at running twist stunts the way the Patriots are. They'll never have a player. I mean, the last player that had double-digit sacks was Chandler Jones. He plays for the Arizona Cardinals now. It's not about numbers. It's about effectiveness. And what Dante Hightower and uh, Jamie Collins do from the linebacker spot, it it breaks down your protection in ways that, look, I mean, the best offenses in football haven't been able to figure out yet. Um, go back to last season. Offensively, they're playing with a third-team tackle that they picked up at a bus stop in Marshall Newhouse. They're playing with a third-team center. They're replacing a Hall of Fame tight end with a seventh-round pick. Um, it doesn't seem to matter. They, they, they don't move the line of scrimmage in the run game, but they run the ball right at you and down your throat. Well, how do they do that? Well, they, they run a lot of traps. They run a lot of whams. They angle block you to death. They angle block you in ways that you, you can't see it out of your periphery. 
um, there's not anything that has been run in the game of pro football in 20 years that Brady doesn't have locked inside his executive branch and can unleash at any time. And so they are they don't beat themselves. I've watched them run four different running backs in six plays at you uh, in a lot of different ways. I mean, they're just well-coached, very creative, and the quarterback is masterful. It's not a surprise, obviously, that they're 3-0. and It's not a surprise Kansas City and maybe Baltimore to an extent as well. But as you look at whether it's the conference or the overall league through three weeks, who or what are the biggest surprises right now? Well, the Detroit Lions are undefeated, and they went into Philadelphia, and they beat the Eagles. Uh, and they did in a way where they're, they're a good team. And they're a team like Buffalo. They, they, they're, they're not full of star players, but the things that they ask their players to do are not, like, out of the ordinary. And they do a lot of little things well. They block the line of scrimmage well. They, they, they held off a fierce pass rush the other day from the Eagles, and uh, Matt Stafford is getting protected. They went to a two-tight-end system, the way the Buffalo Bills are. And when I look around the league, teams that are in a two-tight-end system and a two-back system where they can protect their quarterbacks, those are the teams right now that are having success. Uh, and even Kansas City is like that. I mean, as good as Mahomes is, they still protect their edges, protect their line, and they just don't play these wide-open style of football. There's times to do it, but it's not what they're, it's not what they're primarily made of. And so some of these teams that are, are surprising, like Buffalo or Detroit, uh, they're built the right way. Final thing for you, and it takes us back a little bit to Josh Allen, the top of the discussion, Brian. Young quarterbacks, right? We always worry about, used to be you never played a young guy right away. They needed years to develop. Now they're getting in a lot faster. You see guys like Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. We talked about Allen looking better. Now Minshew and Kyle Allen and Daniel Jones and Kyler Murray. Is it is it easier for young quarterbacks to have success quicker in the NFL? And if so, why? Well, the... Uh... You know, the, I mean, Gardner Minshew played a lot of football at Washington State in a passing offense. I mean, he was used to throwing it 60 times a game. He played in a driving rainstorm last Thursday night. Well, he played in a lot of driving rainstorms at Washington State. You know, I mean, the weather doesn't bother him. Uh, but he is, but, you know, a lot of these guys played, you know, in these systems where they threw the ball a lot. They saw a lot of different looks. They They know how to... They know how to stack completions together, you know, to start to get themselves into a rhythm. So I think that's a big part of it. Kyler Murray, I mean, yeah, he was a one-year starter, but you know, he was uh, he played a lot of football though, mm-hmm. uh, whether it was scout team or Texas A&M. Um, you know, in the in you know the the offense is built around his skill set. Lamar Jackson played a lot of football and was well coached at Louisville, um, and so. <clears throat> And they're playing a style of football that he's not uncomfortable with. I mean, they're they're built the style around him. When you look at what Greg Roman does, he built that style around the skills of Colin Kaepernick. So they're putting him in a position to be at least comfortable and not ask him to do things that they haven't done before. Right. So coaching. Coaching's a big part of it. And I think, right, you can say that with Josh Allen here. I think Brian Dable is helping make Josh Allen a better quarterback. I agree. And look, I mean, it's important to get guys – that, that can fit the system. I mean, Cole Beasley is a perfect fit for the mm-hmm. system. On third downs, he runs those, those routes that drive people crazy. Um, he's just got great, great quickness, and he knows how to separate and make it easy for the quarterback. And on third down, that's their go-to guy right now. Yep. And John Brown has always had great speed, always. I mean, that's why 
Bruce, you know, Bruce drafted him, you know, in Arizona. Like he, he that guy can fly, and he was good in, in Baltimore last year. But he's he's a good fit for this offense right now, and that speed is 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 uh, you know something that every quarterback can can really benefit from. He is Radio.com Sports NFL Insider Brian Baldinger. Check out his podcast. It is Prevent Defense. And Insider Calls on WGR brought to you by Indeed. Post a job today at Indeed.com slash hire. Brian, thanks for giving us some time this morning. Appreciate you coming on with us and enjoy the football season. I am doing that and enjoy this weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun for you guys. So far, so good. We're, we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed. <laughs> All right. You thanks, got Brian. Have a nice day. There he is, Brian Baldinger. Good stuff from him, Radio.com Insider. You can check out all our interviews from the day at WGR550.com 550.com and the Radio.com app. Last call in the nightcap after this, 803-0550 is the phone number. Any lasting thoughts on the Bills-Patriots matchup or on uh, our conversation on Rasmus Ristolainen and how the Sabres lineup is shaping up for next week, uh, you can get on that as well. It's the nightcap with Jody Biasi. One more segment here on WGR. Last call on the nightcap. Got some good stuff on our website, WGR550.com, including Nate Geary ranking the public courses here in Erie County. The top 15, and I got a thought on that in a second. We'll get to that. Um, Your calls, though, first. 803-0550 is the phone number. Thoughts on the Patriots and Bills game this coming Sunday, 3-0 versus 3-0. Let's go to Mark. Mark, you're on the nightcap. What's up? Good. How are you? Uh, doing good. I was having some fun with uh, my friend today. I said uh, I heard a rumor, and he said, "What's that?" I said, uh, "Kyle Williams coming out of retirement to fill in for Harrison Phillips." Hmm. And, and I was just kidding around at the time, but uh, we ran it by a few guys, and we're wondering if Brandon Bean maybe has done his due diligence. I mean, here's a guy; he's probably got something left in the tank. He wants to go to the playoffs again. We got a stout defense. Why wouldn't you go out and get him? I uh, I mean, he's around. I would think that if something like that were going to happen, and I have no reason to expect that it would, uh, that that would come from Kyle Williams. I don't think that the Bills, McDermott, and Bean, unless they got truly desperate, which I wouldn't say they are right now. I think they are fine at defensive tackle. Uh, but if they did, maybe they'd approach him, but I doubt it. I think if, if something like that were to happen, it would come from Kyle Williams, and he would – Show interest, engage them, and I, I don't. I don't see it happening, frankly. I think he retired. I think that dude's a man of his word, and you know, if he did want to come back, I'm not saying that he would be going back on his word or whatever. Bills fans would love to have Kyle Williams back. Um, he would help them, but you know, I thought about it too. I, I thought about it when Harrison Phillips went down. I'm like, I wonder if they got one more injury there, if he would think about it. But I would be stunned. I'd be stunned. Think about the way he went out. It was perfect. Almost perfect. You'd like him to go out with a Super Bowl. But, <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, what, what were they last year? Um, but him going out, he catches a pass against Miami. They do the basketball thing, which I thought was super cool, where he goes on the field, they call timeout so he can kind of get a standing ovation walking off the field. That was perfect. You don't, you don't ruin that. But, again, if he wanted to come out, Bills fans would gladly have him back. Um... All right, our other guy hung up here, so that's okay. I got a quick thought on Nate Geary's top 15 public golf courses in Erie County. I'm a big Elma Meadows guy. Grew up around there. It's one of the first courses I ever played. Uh, He's got it at number 11. I think it should have cracked the top 10. Not going to lie, Nate. Um, 
especially they redid the greens um, and, and they redid the, all the, the filtration systems. And he's got them at number 11. I thought they deserved to be a little bit higher. A little bit higher. Elma Meadows. It's a great, it's a great uh, if you're into golf and you know, maybe you're not looking to spend a fortune, it's a, it's a, good, it's a good place to go. All right, that's going to do it for me tonight. So thanks, everybody, for listening to the show. NASCAR fans, stay tuned because you've got what we got next. NASCAR Live. NASCAR Live is next. I will not be with you tomorrow. Uh, Sabres will be playing the Blue Jackets at home. I will be in attendance. I'll be in the arena. So I'm looking forward to that. A little night off watching some Sabres preseason action. And then Thursday I'll be back with you before we get you ready for Thursday Night Football. By the way, didn't mention this. Thursday Night Football is a great matchup this week. Packers and Eagles. That's about as good as you're going to do for a Thursday Night Football matchup. And Lambeau, too. So, that's it for me. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Catch the whole show on demand at WGR550.com. It's been the Nightcap with Jody Biasi on WGR. is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.